This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. Welcome to Health and Living with me, T. Xiao Eek. It's our Doctor in the House segment for this Friday afternoon. Uh, but I think today I want to call it maybe Doctor in the House no more. No more. No more. That's right. We're wondering whether the use of artificial intelligence, especially with all this talk about chatbots like ChatGPT, yeah, whether you're going to be out of a worrying, job. Very worrying. <laughs> so I think we need to have plan B. You <laughs> need to be worried as well because, you know, you, you know, everyone needs to be worried, I guess. Well, um, I'm curious to yes. know just how much AI can do. Mm-hmm. Can it really? replace human intelligence and creativity. Or better. Um, or, oh, how dare you say that? <laughs> but what we are discussing today is what chat GPT means, particularly I think um, in the area of medicine, research as well, and of mm. course academia and teaching. Yeah, and I want to kind of zoom in a little bit on scientific uh, research and yes. publishing in journals. Now that's something that even you, George, you use journals that's right. to keep up to date, right? Yes, indeed. And then um, also Apart from being clinician, I'm also academicians, and then I'm uh, you know clinical associate professor from Monash University, and so in a viewpoint of my own uh, research work, and then uh, am I tempted to cheat? And then also on the other end, when I'm actually reviewing the students' uh, work, and then how do I know whether this is actually a proper work that has been uh, you know have the actually scrutiny of the um, the hard work yeah. that actually is being produced. I mean, we talk about the importance of peer review. That's right. How do you peer review <laughs> artificial intelligence, right? All very new. <laughs> so we are um, getting uh, more thoughts and opinions from our two guests today. Dr. Mark Cheung, who is Editorial Board Member of PLOS Global Public Health. That's a, an international journal. And uh, he will be, you know, really uh, weighing in in terms of what it means for um, publishing. And Dr. Ahmad Sharizan Sulaiman, who's a senior lecturer from University Malaysia Pahang. And he has an interesting uh, real-life experience to share in terms mm. of using chat GPT in academia and George, of course, um, do tell us whether you think you're on your way out. And that's or not. right. <laughs> okay. So three academicians and then with clinical backgrounds. And then let's see what we think about this new technology. Yes. Um, and I think, uh, Shah, you have a very specific example, which if we could park that aside for later in the conversation. But um, have you tried using ChatGPT for other things just for fun? And I'll get to you in a bit as well, Mark. Uh, sure. So I did uh, with the recent um, news and and the the whole attention was uh, OpenAI ChatGPT. Uh, we uh, we were talking about OpenAI ChatGPT because there are a few other bots out there, uh, language models that that do the same. So uh, I think with everybody, we just try a few. I have just tried for academic research. Yeah? Mm. So I did try with uh, questioning. Um, just put it out like a. If you guys uh, know what's a Bloom's taxonomy level of questioning, so you just try out that. Yeah. So we will show. we will hear more uh, in terms of that case study, so to speak, later. Uh, Mark, have you tried it out? No, I have. I have. I've been uh, 
intrigued and I was curious about it um, from the very beginning. And I think uh, much like uh, perhaps many others in the academic world at the beginning, it sort of poo-pooed, you know, how, how good could this um, so-called AI chatbot be? I, mean, I think many of us have heard so many uh, claims from people who, who say that, oh, this is the latest AI, can do this and that. And frequently, we've been disappointed. But I think when this came out, it was made really publicly available to try out in a very simple and accessible way, um, I think, you know, you, you start to get a sense of how how cool it is, the, the more you actually play with it. And I think the more um, you give it advanced instructions, you give it very specific prompts for what you want uh, to get out of it, you start to realize that this is a whole new world that we are going into. It speaks to you um, like you would expect someone with a reasonable amount of intelligence to. So so I'm, I'm amazed. I'm amazed. Mm. And I mean, our... I think uh, us outside of something like this, our experiences with chatbots may be um, for customer service, right? On a website and you've got some problems with uh, something you purchased or, or ordered. And, and that one is very standard. I feel very formulaic. And um, the whole idea of ChatGPT is, um, I guess, what it can draw from in terms of the database that's available online and how it learns from it, Right. George, have you used it? Uh, well, I've both used it for fun and also for not-so-fun things. Actually, for fun, it's like you know, when it all emerged, I just asked a very simple question. You know, what exactly is the basis of Chap Gourmet? Right, so you know, because you know, we just want to find out because we hear old wives' tales about um, you know grandma saying all these stories about the Chinese Valentine throwing oranges and things like that, and in fact, you actually get a different viewpoint from different countries because obviously the fifteenth date of Chinese New Year means a lot in different things, and then to do it different time, you actually get a different response. So, in a way, it's interesting to see that this is in a different perspective, which I really enjoy. I just like what Mark is doing, but I'm not too sure how true it is because knowing all those information, I can't verify uh, them at all. Mm. In the academic, academic viewpoint, I remember the question that I failed in medical school many, many, many years ago. Actually, it was a really curious question. And that question says, the clavicle is the marvel of creation. Discuss. Mm. And that was my anatomy question, which I, until today, find it very difficult because you really need to think about it to find out whether the clavicle truly is a, um, a refined form for evolution. But the answers that it came out with every single time were all very vague and everything. But Mark is right. When you ask very specific questions, then you will get a very specific answer. And then, so it's all about not being vague and I really think it is interesting but yet a little bit worrying. Mm, all right and I think it um, suggests or implies a lot about what we are putting into it and that still requires human intelligence. Yes. How do you prompt? Yes, how do you, what question do you want to ask? Because 
in a general viewpoint, and then let's say for a medical student to answer the question, you know, the clavicle is a marvel creation. First of all, you it it's it's a bit of literacy involved in that. And then it requires some degree of intelligent, uh, it, it kind of human touch mm-hmm. in order to identify what you will lead to the answer of the questions. And it's quite variable between different people's viewpoint about evolution. Mm-hmm. So I think it still hasn't reached that sort of fine tuning, but I don't think we're too far from that. The more you put in that question, I think, George. That's right, or contributing towards it. Um, Mark, in the bigger picture, how could something like ChatGPT uh, already is being used in the context of healthcare and medicine? Well, I mean, I think think everyone's figuring out the best way to use it. Um, And certainly, uh, especially when we keep in mind some of our concerns about accuracy, our concerns about whether or not um, the information can be trusted at first glance. And I think that there has there have been several uh, worrying accounts of, you know, chat GPT either lying outright in order to, to satisfy your desire for an answer. Or, you know, as, as an author I was reading this morning uh, has said that, well, you know, chat GPT gives you a lot of delusions and hallucinations, which you really have to sift through and verify for yourself. But keeping that aside, as now assuming a world where the we were confident that the information provided could uh, was good and uh, verifiable and therefore safe you know you you could use it for so many things like for example uh, routinely providing medical um, uh, advice or even counseling to patients how to use their medicines um, routine advice for for the vast bulk of the population on how to eat more healthily how to live more healthily and i think uh, for for many of the doctors listening in perhaps you know you would have chat gpt really essentially take on the bulk of your workload in terms of the transcribing of your patient's medical notes you know uh, highlighting to you um, issues that are that have carried over from the last follow up so really sort of being a, a very handy virtual assistant that takes away all this administrative burden that in many cases really prevents you from being the best clinician you could possibly be. But um, I mean, George, maybe you could jump in. Wouldn't it be worrying? Let's say, do you think it could give you an accurate answer if you asked what are the contraindications of a particular medication? Mm, That's right. I think obviously... uh, if the answer is uh, incorrect or misleading, um, answers like that sometimes can lead to life-threatening consequences. For example, uh, a very common drugs like warfarin, if the answer is incorrect, I mean, Mark obviously is in, in um, you know pharma, uh, pharmacy and pharmacological background. I and mean, you know that if somebody asks the question, is warfarin kind of like, is alcohol, you know, um, have any contraindication with warfarin? And in medical school, we know, and also from our clinical experience, we know. However, in a form of AI, it should know to some extent, but whenever it gets more and more specific, that accuracy needs some fact-checking, and if that fact-checking is incorrect, then it may lead to uh, very dire consequences. Well, well, I think it's, it's interesting to, to take that perspective because, as I recall as well, this this used to sometimes be the uh, the criticism against, uh, you know, when, when students 
uh, ask clinical questions and they they look up answers on you know references like Medscape and all that and they give you a, a, an answer from there and the, the the question used to be how sure are you that that information is correct and now fast forward a couple of decades we are we are reasonably confident in these uh, medical references that we look up so who's to say you know a, a decade down the road yes. we are just going to accept the what chat gpt or other ai chatbots tell us at face value mm. we have to go for a break but when we come back shah i'd like to get your thoughts um, from a teaching perspective you know your concerns about the use of ai chat Bots by students. Today, my co-host Dr. George Lee in the studio with me, and we're speaking to Dr. Mark Cheong, editorial board member of PLOS Global Public Health, um, that's an international journal, and Dr. Ahmad Sharizan Sulaiman, senior lecturer from the Faculty of Mechanical and Automotive Engineering Technology at University Malaysia Pahang. And we're discussing what chat GPT means for medicine and research. Stay tuned to Health and Living BFM 89.9. Welcome back to Health and Living with me, T. Xiao Ik, and my co-host, Dr. George Lee. Our guests today are Dr. Mark Cheong, editorial board member of the journal PLOS Global Public Health, and Dr. Ahmad Sharizan Sulaiman, a senior lecturer at the Faculty of Mechanical and Automotive Engineering Technology, University, Malaysia, Pahang. Today, we're discussing ChatGPT, uh, which is really trending right now, and of course, similar AI chatbots, and whether this is a yay or a nay in research and academia. Um, of, of course, for our show, we're talking within the health and medicine um, areas um, specifically as well. Um, Earlier, we discussed the potential uses of ChatGPT when it comes to maybe medical and clinical decision-making or processes. Now, let's look a little bit at academia. And uh, Shah, I'm turning to you. You probably see ChatGPT coming in already when it comes to teaching and lessons and, and perhaps students using it, right? So what do you think? Uh, sure. Um, I'm perhaps coming from a slightly different angle from uh, our panel today, Mark and George, which is mostly health sciences and medicine. So I uh, come uh, across from physical sciences sure. and engineering. Uh, I tend to see uh, OpenAI, ChatGPT, and its uh, Miller large language model will be used by students once it's being offered uh, in public. Yeah, we have to accept that. Yeah, there's no way to stop it. Uh, however, as an educator, things like that, for me, uh, why I did, uh, as you mentioned early on, uh, Xiao, that I did a test, things like how well, the question was uh, across from our colleague uh, in my faculty is that how do we detect or at least has an indication uh, what is being copied and pasted from a uh, language, large language model, yes. or what is being transpired from reading, understanding, and uh, evaluation and analysis from the students. I think that's where the important part that uh, I, I try to bring uh, upon. Shall I um, uh, sh share my experience uh, with the chat? We're, right. yeah, so, we're looking forward to that. Okay, sure. Um, uh, I put a scenario I'm in my head, say that, say I am interviewing a master's level student, uh, just uh, starting out their uh, 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 research literature review. So it starts with a simple question, as I mentioned earlier on, some sort of review and academic, you use probably a Bloom's taxonomy cognitive level. Okay, it started with a list, list uh, of alloys, list of engineering alloys. 
uh, sure, it's been written. Uh, uh, the response from OpenAI, ChatGPT, are very precise. I mean, I think they just uh, gone through. I think the the you know, artificial intelligence language models they have rolled through hundreds and or even thousands of books, things like that, and then that structure. However, as you go along into a higher level of questions, like evaluate, synthesis, judge, and argue a decision, then uh, it starts to getting weird, uh, the, the way that they answer it. Uh, as I mentioned, I think Mark mentioned about uh, uh, ambiguity, things like that. That I think it's been modeled specifically in that language model to be uh, either or, or neither, this non-committal answer. However, uh, when I uh, uh, drill down the questions uh, for specific alloy, aluminium alloy, and then I say propose and defend, propose and defend, that's probably a master's level question. Propose and defend a new alloy uh, that you think that is better than the current one in the group of 5000 series alloy. What I came across, it starts to spewing uh, a fictitious alloy. Mm. Yeah, uh, Alumax 555. So that was very interesting. I mean, fictitious, uh, fictitious, yeah. Because we uh, the 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 field for aluminium alloy is quite well developed, uh, especially in the rod uh, system. Uh, you know, this is not the grades that 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 come. What even more weird, it start to uh, citing a a specific name of the university and the name of the papers. That's uh, easy to track for academics. That uh, if you have access to large index paper index, then you just type in the paper and and that paper is fictitious as well. So fake references. So, fake references, exactly. The, the name of the paper is correct, but the title is fake. You can try, I try uh, back and forth looking at, say, for example, uh, pattern search. Is there somebody actually invented this uh, fictitious alloy? Um, no, it's not. So what I gathered, uh, the name Alumax, yeah, uh, especially, is actually name of a company uh, that uh, went extinct a long time ago, probably in the 80s or late 90s, Alumax Incorporated. So what, what the funny thing is that the address of that company is 555 East Highway Road, Ohio. So I think that is my suspicion oh. that it is a pattern matching uh, algorithm. They just say Alumax, aluminium, and then that's probably came across from historical documents, Pattern things like that, and uh, I just uh, before coming to the on air today, uh, I just checked is that Alumax produce any uh, new alloy or, or invented? No, this is not that. Mm. So uh, that's even wearing. I think uh, uh, as an educator or even like as a society, uh, when we say like fake news things like that or manufactured uh, 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 things, it is getting weird. Uh, back to you, Sheryl. Mark, what are your thoughts on uh, Shah's example? Considering that, uh, at least in scientific research or academia, there would be processes that something like this should go through. So, yes, ChatGPT may come up with gibberish for you, um, but if it is being presented, submitted to a journal, uh, or uh, presented in a, in, in a conference or something like that, um, there's no way it would make it through anyway. 
I think this is where you know the the existence of uh, AI chatbots um, have have really increased the the burden on uh, on peer reviewers, <laughs> on uh, publishers of of academic journals to ensure that of course what what's been submitted is in fact um, scientifically valid and true, um, and of course you know it it seems to be an impossible problem, but in a way it, it's really to me the 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 start of of. Uh, of perhaps a sea change in how we do um, academic publishing and how we do peer review. Now, today, peer review is a largely thankless task. It's not paid for. You get nothing out of it. Sometimes you get a, a pat on the shoulder saying, well done <laughs> for having contributed to the uh, to, to science. But but largely, it's, it's, it's a volunteer uh, and a voluntary endeavor, and I guess now as uh, as we start considering, well, you know, for each of these things that get submitted to you, um, if there is now that additional burden of having to really check and really verify that these claims are true, um, it really calls into question, uh, uh, you know, well. Who should do peer reviewing? Um, how should they be compensated for it? How should the, the scientific academic uh, model of publishing change? And I think these are the larger questions um, that, that really have to be uh, thrown about in the scientific world with the introduction of these uh, AI chatbots. Mark, with your recommendation, they'll probably invent another bot to do the reviewing. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised. And uh, then the rest of us could just take most of the day off. <laughs> I, you know, when you mentioned about this reviewing, I mean, you mentioned about thankless tasks and everything. And then also you put yourself and your reputation at risk as well, especially in medical journals. If you don't necessarily, um, you know, go through the due diligence of the scrutiny. And then when there's a problem, um, you, they actually, it, the bugs end with you because you're the person who who approved it, right? Absolutely. And I think, again, this is also where, you know, um, it really causes us to consider the larger issue of this whole uh, publish and perish mentality within within academia and science, right? Um, where so much of, of uh, what drives publishing is has to do with, you know, um, achieving certain KPIs, achieving certain numbers of articles for academic promotion, so on and so forth, which then really leads to this um, massive search of papers being produced every single year, which then naturally means that as uh, academic members, we get tons of papers for peer review. So, so it, it really does now, it really asks the question, you know, if people are going to be producing, you know, tons of papers use, uh, using um, chatbot AIs, and, uh, you know, and so much of it has to really uh, involve very, very careful screening, very, very careful verification. Is it, does it ultimately mean that our academic publishing model is broken? You know, how we, how we value academics and their output, is it currently broken the way we see this? Do you think it is? I, I think it is. I mean, I, but I mean, the disclaimer is I'm not a, part, a particularly prolific academic, so I so certainly I'm biased against this. <laughs> but 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 I think it is. I I think, and I think this is where as well, perhaps to to the question of, you know, um, is it cheating uh, to use uh, chatbot AIs to to write 
papers. Well, if let's say the, the true measure of an academic is the number of papers they produce at, in a given duration of time, then yes, perhaps it's cheating. You're using a tool that's going to allow you to write more you know, in a, in a short amount of time. But if the true value of an academic and the, and the scientific endeavor is the generation of new knowledge and new ideas, novel discoveries, then who cares if you use a chatbot uh, AI to do you know, the, the basic writing, editing, formatting of your articles? The, the inspiration and the genesis of that new knowledge still comes from you. Mm. What's, your, what's your thought on that? You know, is it cheating? Let's uh, say in a, a non-academic viewpoint. Well, I'm going to borrow your phrase, George. The buck stops with you. Yes. And, and your name is the one on the paper. The final stamp of approval. So wh whatever tool that you're using to help you out, mm -hmm. you'd better make sure that that's the kind of standard that you yourself, you want to be reviewed against, mm -hmm. right? You're not going... And, and in fact, um, the journal Science has already said they won't accept um, ChatGPT being listed as an author. <laughs> so you can't put ChatGPT there and 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 uh, assume that OpenAI can take uh, you know bear accountability. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I want to ask Shah as well the same question. You know, do you also think academic publishing the 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 framework of it that the concept of it is broken like Mark does and and also do you think it's cheating? Um, I, I will try to pick uh, where Mark was uh, conjecture just now, uh, which is the dilute of papers, uh, quality of papers that are coming in. Uh, what happened uh, with the um, advent of publish or perish mentality, especially in, in most of it, it's just not Malaysia, it's throughout the world, is that a lot of the papers actually, what I, I would like to call a run of the mill, uh, they just uh, producing more data set, what is actually is a busy data set already. Nobody do proper analysis or sit down and then do a generalized model, things like that. Yeah, because of that, a lot of it is just run of the mill. So the issues of, uh, to your question just now, uh, using um, what, what we're trying to say is a lang large language model to do the uh, heavy burden of the writing, things like that, I fully uh, against it. Yeah, it, it has to be you sitting down with a pen or paper, traditionally, or, or on a keyboard that, uh, you write it down, thoughts to paper or thoughts to uh, to, to the keyboards. Yeah, that that's where uh, uh, knowledge or ideation comes through. Mm -hmm. But uh, I would like to just go slightly off tangent here. Yeah. Uh, that for me, there's nothing wrong as an artificial intelligence tool to be used, especially in my field. I think uh, uh, if you look at large data sets of microstructure. Yeah, we need or you know, say our colleagues here from say uh, radiography or X-rays. You need a tool to intelligently sifting through mod, uh, data sets. I think that's a slightly different uh, than large language models, but it's it's still an, uh, a neural network, some kind of uh, to have a tool. However, those tools has to be declared in the paper as like any other tools when you do experiments, you you uh, quoted that you, I'm using this such and such. So you have to quote uh, that that kind of tool. Mm. Same goes back to uh, rounding off the discussion, uh, back to the questions. Say if you happen to use Grammarly or uh, uh, OpenAI or other, why don't you just say this paper has been written with the help with this particular brand of 
software. Uh, uh, software things like that. Yeah. yeah. So answer to the uh, second question, is it cheating? Using a tool like OpenAI to, if you to generate off, that. Uh, yeah, cheating. So to me, it's cheating if you pass it off as if you are writing it. Right. And, and uh, Mark, what, what do you think, right? It's two different viewpoints, but also passing it off implies that um, the uh, individual didn't do any work and that they took this from uh, someone else. But with something like OpenAI, and correct me if I'm wrong, you do have to do some work to input the prompts, correct? Yeah, so after you do the input, is it still considered cheating? Uh. So basically, you know, you get the first layer of... Uh, background framework sorted out. Then you do the scrutiny of seeping out all the fictitious, uh, fictitious uh, um, you know, alloys and also fictitious companies. And then you compile something together. And what difference does that make? Like Mark says that it is essentially you Google everything, you put everything together, first round of going through stuff. It's not, uh, which is what's happening now. If you ask a student to write an essay, and then they will go through the first round of uh, uh, assessing um, their framework. And then so AI will do that for you first round and then you see out what is not correct and then you come up with final product. Still cheating? No, I, I, so I, I, that's why I think cheating is probably too too strong and too too final, you know, uh, a label to apply to it. I mean, I'm, I'm thinking about if, if we are talking about... Um, saying that you know you must put pen to paper or at least finger to keyboard personally <laughs> and, and in order to generate knowledge because nobody but, uses paper or pen anymore well some of us still do <laughs> but i think i'm thinking about now you know the large statistical models and softwares that we use to to generate uh, you know findings and and patterns from you know, from, from large numerical data, there's no way you would, you know, take an abacus or, or, or even a, with a simple calculator to come and, and, you know, come up with the answers or the patterns. You Essentially, you would still be relying on a piece of software that's able to pass through millions and millions of bits of data in order to come up with, a, you know, with, with a model which you then take on face value and trust. And so in that case, is that cheating then? Mm. Um, and I think likewise with writing, we, we do accept that um, in many cases, let's say where, uh, for example, the, the author or the student is doesn't speak um, or write English um, as their native language. Mm -hmm. You know, in many cases and journals, it's perfectly uh, acceptable to say that you've used the an editorial assistant, you've used editorial services, you just have to declare that. So now in this case, when as a reader of that academic piece of work, and I'm reading it and I'm digesting the message that comes from it, does it now belong to the person who edited that piece of work, or does it still is it still a piece of work that that came from the person who originally wrote that first draft? So, so I think there are nuances there, but I think eventually we will we'll come to see it as a tool, just no different from Wikipedia, no different from the many um, types of different software that we routinely use in academic publishing nowadays, um, and, and less, uh, you know, as a crutch or, or tool to cheat. But Shah, is your concern that um, the AI could one day become sophisticated enough that uh, a student could put in the um, question that you have given them uh, and 
they could use the tool to submit an essay to you or a paper to you with very, very minimal effort on their part uh, to to put their own thoughts down? Yeah, I, I believe uh, uh, the tools getting sophisticated. Yeah, that's for sure. And the way us as a human to detect that become a very blurry lines. Yeah. Or you have to take a lot of effort to recheck and check um, uh, what the data coming through. With that, I think uh, is true. However, uh, if you bring the word sophistication, I think um, as as people who dwell in, in anything about artificial intelligence, there's always a question whether it is sentient or conscious. I think all those language model, or if you go to computer science, things like that, yeah, there is a Turing test. Yeah, uh, that uh, whether you you are fool or not fool, uh, you are uh, mis. Uh, is that a correct word? The fool by yeah. the system. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I think uh, the future is there. Uh, there's no way uh, we know. Uh, I'm, I'm not going to guess a, a crystal ball saying that. Yes, there is a definitive. Uh, there is a line between consciousness. And we know it is a computer model. But back to my job as an educator, it's getting harder. Exactly. Even if you go back a few years back, uh, when you, Wikipedia starts coming in, and then uh, a lot of other uh, uh, websites that are going to help. Yes. Uh, if you do it uh, long enough, you probably start to detect uh, similarities, things like that. Yeah, that, that's probably going to. And help that you comes with, to yeah. the the experience and skill of the educator. <laughs> yes. George, yeah. I, I want to put you on the spot <laughs> yeah, now. Right, yeah. what, what do you do when a student submits a paper that um, they could have used OpenAI to... Right, okay. I, I, will you fail I, them? I actually I will not fail them because, I mean, um, I think contrary to uh, what Shah thinks that, you know, they need to declare it and that sort of thing, I, I find that uh, there's probably not a lot of difference uh, if they actually see through all the data themselves and then come up with their, their kind of intelligent form or they just get the first draft done by AI. There's, the only difference is speed. Yeah. Right? So, okay. so how do we ensure that they do um, make that effort? Right. Okay. And I think eventually that effort will be... Um, will be meaningless. It, it, it won't be any effort anymore. I'll give an example about what I think about, uh, let's say, 10 years from today. Right? Okay. When I applied for medical school, right, in it's a long time ago in 1990, uh, those days we have no computers and then we have to do our CV with word processor. And then you have to declare that you do a spell check using a computer to make sure that all your spellings go okay. So those are the days where we have to learn how to spell properly, right? And then you have to declare that you use an instrument to spell check. But these days we don't declare anymore because it's a second nature. Everything is spell checked for you as soon as you actually key it in. So it's a matter of time that if whatever fact you put into a uh, a software that you want to submit in a form of an article, in a form of an essay, or in a form of your own research, somehow that is a software just going to go through it to tell you that whether your thought is good, your thought is not good, and then also what other things to refine. I think it's just a matter of time that it, it is this integral part of the process. So in order to resist it and then catching people out and say, ha you did it, you didn't, I think people are just going to initially deny it. 
then you have to have that um, accusation verified. It just makes life really difficult because the end product will eventually just be a work that will be refined that way. Just like how I tell my kids that you need to learn how to spell. And they say, nobody learns how to spell anymore. (laughs) (laughs) So it's just like you need to learn how to do your research is what we're talking about here. Eventually, five years from today, people will tell you, you don't need to do that anymore because the computer is helping you to do that. So will AI change the way research is done, the way spell checks have changed, whether we know how to spell? A provocative thought. We'll explore more when we come back from the break with my co-host, Dr. George Lee, Dr. Mark Chung, editorial board member of PLOS Global Public Health, and Dr. Ahmad Sharizan Sulaiman, senior lecturer from University Malaysia Pahang. Stay tuned to Health and Living BFM 89.9. Welcome back to Health and Living with me, T. Shaoik, and my co-host, Dr. George Lee, and our guests, Dr. Mark Cheong, editorial board member of the journal PLOS Global Public Health, and Dr. Ahmad Sharizan Sulaiman, senior lecturer from University of Malaysia, Pahang. So before the break, George, you brought up the idea that with the advent of tools, um, especially using technology, not just um, AI, but even when there were things like spell check, it, um, it helps you do away with the effort that you have to put in and, um, you know, in, certain, in terms of certain processes. And whether it's just a matter of time that some of these processes simply won't matter anymore. And, and George, I understand about improving efficiency, but philosophically, do we lose something very fundamental about research, about collaboration, about creativity, if we rely on tools like this to take over certain processes. Mark, what do you think? I don't think we lose. And I, and I, I think uh, even to some extent, a lot of the uh, conversation about chatbots and AI around, uh, we, we are underestimating how big of a change this, this will be, how much of a paradigm shift will take place so that our ideas for what constitutes research, what constitutes collaboration, what does it mean to pass an exam and, and to have learned something, uh, that will all change, I think, with the introduction of AI. So, for example, I mean, uh, the, 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 the scenario that's, again, often most thrown most commonly is, what if a student writes, uses chat GPT to write an essay and submits it as an assignment that's going to be graded off it? But um, what's the intention behind, behind that assignment? If the intention was really to test the student's understanding, uh, could it not be that you test the student's understanding by testing, well, how do they get certain answers? from the chat AI? Do they understand the subject well enough that they are able to detect whether or not that AI is giving a good example or poor example? Now, I was reading uh, earlier on this this short article written by uh, Ethan Mollick, this professor at the University of Pennsylvania, and he was sharing about how he's been actually incorporating AI into his classroom and in some cases, Uh, requiring that students use AI for some of his assignments. Now, one of the examples of the exercises he used uh, as a way to showcase how you might test your students' uh, understanding of concepts was that he he provided students um, with with prompts that they could use into uh, the uh, chatbot to get it to generate uh, three separate um, explanations of a particular concept. And now, 
uh, knowing the, the weaknesses of ChatGPT, uh, it actually provided uh, three different kinds of um, explanations. And so then the work was to ask the student, now, based on the different uh, examples and explanations that the chatbot has given to you, which one of it has it been applied correctly? So, so now you've got three different outputs from the AI based on slightly different prompts that have been provided to you. The test of your knowledge now as the human being is to assess which is the, the example that's applied the concept most accurately. And so to me, that's a very good example of us being able to use an interactive um, AI chatbot to actually solidify our learning as well as uh, our education, rather than just to have a, a single cutoff point or a single piece of work in which you then use to judge that student's understanding across the board. So using the tool to challenge and the thinking processes, Xiao, what do you think? Yeah, I would like to take from your phrase just now, uh, which is the challenge of the, uh, the, the thought process, the challenge of the process. Same thing uh, if you put forward uh, questions like, explain and defend. So that, I, I don't think uh, will be able to be auto-automized by a certain piece of algorithm. That comes from human thinking. And that's where the beauty is. Whereas uh, if you think about uh, large language models, yeah, you still learn from an, an already existing data set. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, and then it will be pattern matching or some other algorithm. Um, how it will come across as a new thought process, things like that. that that's, I, I also wish that uh, humans still have, have that drive to do new discoveries, to be it is in, inquiry, the, the thought, uh, the, the process of inquiry, uh, that kind of thing. Yeah. But uh, slightly uh, going off again, a tangent. If you, uh, uh, the examples that I mentioned early on, that uh, large language models, things like, or AI, things like has a very suggestive construction in that. Uh, that's not be tested. So maybe uh, a question to that, say, say uh, AI come up with a fictitious, uh, this new composition of medication or alloy, things like that. Why don't we as human or students take that uh, as a prompt back and then retest it as in the physical world? That will be interesting. Back mm -hmm. to you. Indeed. Yeah. I mean, I, I like the idea that this is another dimension for discussion and open up avenues. Just like how when I do a very simple search on um, Chap Gourmet and the meaning of Chap Gourmet, and then it actually give me completely non-Southeast Asia viewpoint, which actually inspired me to think a lot more about it outside our comfort zone of outside our norm. Mm -hmm. So so that indeed opens up more channel of discussion. Mm -hmm. One thing I would like to put forward to the panelists here is that earlier on I started the show uh, talking to Shawik to say that you know um, uh, the open AI can help us to do a lot of work faster or even at some time better. In a medical viewpoint I asked myself this question if one day five years ten years from today in fact these are the um, open AIs and also the use of the big data is the breakthrough in finding out cure for cancers and various treatment uh, breakthroughs. Is this even matter who's cheating and who's not cheating? That's true. So, and that day is going to come, right? Because if the big data eventually will see too many things and then, you know, all these fictitious um, uh, hiccups <laughs> are all ironed out, 
and then computer surely is going to think better than human brain in many, many, many folds. And when it comes to the day where um, it truly has many breakthroughs in medical sciences, in research and everything, so our brain truly is no longer that relevant. Ooh. <laughs> And shall we end on this note, I'll get a final message from each of you. Do you think that um, OpenAI or AI um, in the broader sense um, means that we are no longer relevant or, or what can we still contribute to this um, earthly world? <laughs> um, Shah, do you have any final thoughts? Uh, final thoughts, yes. Uh, I coming from a, an angle say that uh, consciousness is still a human trait, whereas uh, artificial and intelligence just an algorithm. So there is a line between that. Unless uh, uh, come to a point, um, the computer able to mimic consciousness. But that's it. Come to come back. I was just going around, you know. Even I think a lot of neurosciences or even people who do computer, uh, the, the word consciousness or sentient is it's very even hard to, to define. Yeah. So back to just, I want to add uh, one final note. Uh, artificial intelligence is going to be with us. Uh, we have to accept it. It's a tool. And I think humans have evolved for um, millennia. And we have started with uh, wood, stone and brands and then we move on to silicon things like that it's just a tool yeah so a tool has to be used with care uh maybe regulatory or uh, uh in place and also the tools can be used for destructive uh, so it's a choice for us to hu human to to make a choice back Mark. to you <laughs> well I, I, I found it quite quite amusing this this idea that um that i might now be irrelevant and uh, i i didn't think much of my relevance to begin with <laughs> truthfully and so i think you know you need I, to I, be I, a prolific publisher then <laughs> <laughs> i would frankly welcome any any assistance from from technology um you know in order to be able to do what i'd like to do better to be able to contribute and to be of service is better um, so so I, I welcome all of it I think really what the the, the thing that we do have to be careful of uh, of course uh, are the concerns around the the ad potential ethical dangers and and risks uh, but that's really a, a topic for a different conversation yeah. I argue with my children about whether they should learn how to spell or not. My children always say, the computer is spelling for you. What's the relevance of that? I said to them, you don't use it, you lose it. So if you don't use your brain, you'll lose your brain. So we will do it together. Thank you so much for your thoughts um, coming from the three brains on the panel of Dr. George Lee, my co-host, Dr. Mark Cheong, editorial board member of PLOS Global Public Health, and Dr. Ahmad Charizan Sulaiman, senior lecturer at the Faculty of Mechanical and Automotive Engineering Technology at University Malaysia, Pahang. This has been Health and Living on BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.